I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 through 15 of Philippians chapter 3, and the title of today's message, Maxing Out the Press. Fifty years ago, fifty years ago, NFC was started by our church, by North Florida Baptist Church, Temple Baptist Church at that time, and it remains a ministry of our church. If my calculations are correct, this is my 25th football Sunday, and as you know, it is my last football uh, Sunday. I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed my relationship with the various sports programs and other programs of our school for all these years. Every sport, every sport has something unique to add to the atmosphere of NFC. I don't know much about sports, but I have learned a few things along the way. For any of you who do not know the ways of football, uh, there is quite an emphasis on maxing out the press, maxing out the bench press. Let me tell you the way that's done. It's by weight and repetitions. For instance, you have a certain amount of weight that you lift and you do that for a certain number of repetitions and that gives you your max out rate. For instance, 260 pounds pressed five times leaves 300, gives you a max out of 303.4 pounds. That's the way that a max out works. Now, it doesn't tell us everything about a player, but it does tell you something about a player. Now, the point is that these young men try to get the most strength that they possibly can for their age, for their their body type, and, and there is a uh, there's a difference in body types. Uh, my, uh, the sleeve length on my shirt is a 36. I have a very long reach for uh, what I would consider to be an average height man, a very long reach. Uh, some people have a much shorter reach. Those people with a shorter reach have a little bit easier leverage in, uh, in maxing out. doesn't mean it's easy. It's just a little easier. A lot of times they will max out, max out more than someone maybe even their same weight, putting forth the same kind of effort, but who is taller and has uh, longer arms. All of that comes into play, and these guys want to max out. And uh, the big deal is when you find somebody that's finally reached a point where they max out over 400 pounds. That's always a big deal in high school if somebody is able to do that. Not everybody, in fact, not very many. I'm right about that, Coach. Uh, not very many ever max out <clears throat> over 400 pounds. Now, I said all of that because today I want to challenge you to max out in another area of your life. In fact, I want to challenge you to max out in life. I want to challenge you to press as much as you can for as many times as you can for as long as you can so you get the max out of your life, you get the max out of Jesus Christ in your life, and you get the max in your service for Him. Let me give you three of the most inspiring verses in all of the Bible. Philippians chapter 3 verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on 
toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature <clears throat> think this way, and if anything uh, you think, and, and if uh, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it, uh, reveal that also to you. Now, here's what I get from Paul's challenge to the Philippian church. First of all, all of us, all of us should max out our vision. We all have a picture of ourselves, and we picture ourselves in certain scenarios of life. Athletes picture themselves in certain athletic endeavors. We've just come through uh, the Olympics. I think maybe today is the closing ceremony. I'm not exactly sure, but we've come through the Olympics, and, and it has been <clears throat> thrilling. And some of you have seen yourself in some of those uh, events. I've not, I've not seen not one person that I thought uh, was very close to me in those events, uh, although I did see the hammer throw and the shot put, and I told my wife, I'm so glad that there's something that a fat boy can do in the Olympics, and, and so I was thrilled about that. But you have seen yourselves, uh, those of you who are students. Parents have seen yourself. You have envisioned yourself in certain settings. And I, I hope that you haven't stopped seeing yourself. I hope that you continue to see yourself, young people, and those who are not so young. Everyone gets some kind of vision of who they are and where they are headed in life. To be where you want to be in any aspect of life, you must, first of all, know what race you are in. You've got to understand the race that you're running. You have to know the race in order to set the pace. If you're going to run a mile and you run it as though you're running a sprint, you're not going to make it to the end of the mile. If you're going to run a sprint, but you run it as though you're going to run a 5K, chances are you're going to come in last on the sprint. You have to know the race <clears throat> in order to set the pace. Now, for the believer, the race is that we please God and we have God's hand <clears throat> on our lives. In other words, I want in my race, I'm running this race, and I want God to be pleased with the race that I'm running, and I want God's hand to be on my life. <clears throat> so in, in light of that, how do we max out our vision for God's hand on our lives? Well, first of all, there has to be a certain <clears throat> level of enthusiasm uh, in the race that we're running. One thing that I learned from my sons, and I, I've, uh, Jan and I have three sons, they're all grown men now, but they all played football at NFC. Every one of them played football at NFC. And <clears throat> guys, here's something that I learned from them playing football at NFC. And parents, you should know this too. You're more likely to get injured going half speed than if you go full speed. You're far more likely to get injured if, if you are <clears throat> tentative than if you go all out. Far better for you if you're doing Oklahoma drills to hit it as hard as you can hit it than to be tentative and let somebody hit you as hard as they can hit you. It's much better to go full out. Half speed is an indicator of other things in our lives and other things in the pursuit of our lives. Those who are half speed in any area have something else going on. If you're half speed, there's something else that's cooking in your life. For instance, on your job. 
If you're half speed on your job, if you just kind of muddle along at half speed, or at least you've taken off uh, your foot off the gas a little bit, if you're at half speed, then here's what that usually means. Something else is happening in your life. Something else is distracting you if you're half speed. That's the truth in a career. That's the truth in church. That's the truth in athletics. That's the truth in marriage. If we are less than full speed, something's going on and something is more likely to be injured. Christians who are at half speed in their lives for Christ, they are not really convinced that this is the best life for them. They are are trying to have a, a step in this world and a step in this world. In another world, if you're going to max out your press for Christ, you have to be a person that maxes out your vision. You have to see this is the absolute best, the biggest thing, the greatest possibility in my life that I could ever have. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now, that's a good way to max out your walk in Christ is just look at it like, hey, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this heartily as unto the Lord. Someone has said, nothing is so contagious as enthusiasm. It moves stones and charms savages. Enthusiasm is the genius of sincerity. There are no victories without it. So I would say that in order to max out your vision for yourself, for your team, for your church, you have to first of all have this sense of enthusiasm. I'm really going to do this. The, the people who run for uh, public office, they can't run for public office like, yeah, I think I'll try it. They have to go for all that they're worth. I, I remember several years ago <clears throat> meeting Fred Thompson, and at that time he was a, a, a Republican candidate for president. And I got an indicator from him that, that this was not going to be uh, his race and this was not going to be something that he would win. Here's what he said. Never will forget it. Jan, you were there when he stood up. He's a, he was, was he's, he's gone now, uh, rest his soul. <clears throat> but, but Fred Thompson said, now people have asked me, what if this doesn't work out? And here's what I've said to them. I've said, well, if I don't get the nomination for president, I'll go back to being the happiest guy on earth because I love my life. I love my children. I love what's going on in my life. And I thought to myself then, I thought, you know, uh, I'm not sure he really wants to be president. I'm not sure he's really after this. Uh, he's, he, he hasn't maxed out his enthusiasm. I had a lot of respect for him, and I still respect the, uh, who he was politically and, and otherwise. But that's a, uh, uh, Commissioner Bronson, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's a good indicator that somebody has not really maxed out enthusiasm. Here's the second thing. If you're going to max out your vision, you have to have a sense of responsibility. Philippians 3.14 again says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now all of us, if we're saved, in fact all of us have a calling to fulfill in life. Here's what I say, you've heard me say this before, if you've never been to this church, you'll hear it now. We are born with a purpose, we are born again to find our purpose. God has a purpose in every person's life. We are born with that purpose. We are born again in order to be able to find that purpose. We have a calling to fulfill. Not everyone will be a pastor. Not everyone will be a missionary. 
but all believers have the hand of God on their lives, and all believers have a calling to fulfill. There is a reason that you were born. There is a reason that you were born again. There is a purpose for you. Born-again believers are born to a purpose greater than themselves. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1, we've been studying Hebrews in Wednesday night. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and, and high priest of your confession. Now here's the thing. If you believe that God has a plan for your life, a plan for you to follow, that will make your life far more meaningful than if you don't think that he has a plan for your life. Or you think, what am I supposed to do? When you come to an understanding, a belief that this is what God wants me to do, this is the life that God wants me to live, then you live life with a purpose. Now, here's the question. How do you fulfill a responsibility before God to do the thing that he's called you to do in life? First of all, you have to respect it. You have to respect what God has given you to do. 1 Thessalonians 2, 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, believers have a choice in how to live life. But not all choices are, as this verse says, worthy of God. We must walk worthy of who we are and who we represent there is a worthiness that we must live up to, a worthiness to fulfill. That's a staple of life. You, you should be respectful of God's hand on your life and God's gifts to your life. You should respect them. Over the years, we have had a lot of jerseys leave our property. A lot of NFC jerseys leave our property. We've had football jerseys to leave the property. We've had baseball jerseys. We've had basket. We've had all kinds of jerseys to leave our property. And occasionally, I will see someone in a restaurant or a mall or some other place wearing a jersey uh, that came from NFC. I, I think two or three things. First of all, I think, how did they get that jersey? And uh, then I, I look at them, and here's what I think. I say, are they respecting the jersey that they're wearing? I think about that. Are they respecting that jersey? It's how they got it may or may not be relevant, but whether or not they are respecting the jersey is highly relevant. Far more important than an NFC jersey that somebody wears to the mall or wears wherever they wear it, Far more important than that is this, this label that we wear as a Christian, as a believer. Because here's what's going to happen inevitably. Someone somewhere along the way is going to make this statement, and you call yourself a Christian. You're wearing that jersey. You're wearing that uniform. You have that as your calling card. Are you worthy? Do you respect it? Are you fulfilling your sense of responsibility by respecting it? Are you living up to the tradition of it? There's a tradition in most everything of life. 
There's certainly a tradition in, in the Christian walk. 2 Thessalonians 2.14. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, tradition isn't everything, but it's not unimportant either. A lot of times, people will do things different just to be different. And, and I, I, viva la difference. I, I, I like difference, not a problem with that. But sometimes when people are different, they're different to the disrespect of the tradition. And sometimes when people are traditional, they are traditional to the point of not understanding the idea that things can grow and change. In our Christian life, we are a reflection of God and those who brought us to this point of our lives. This is true in any success that we have in life. You didn't get to where you are by yourself. Somebody helped you to get there. Somebody helped you to achieve what you've achieved. Somebody helped you along the way. When you live your life, you should pursue, all of us should pursue our goals or play our sport or think of those who have gone on before us and how we represent them. Even more, we should think about Jesus Christ and how we represent him. So in maxing out or maxing our life's vision, we pursue God's will enthusiastically and responsibly, which means to respect and, and, uh, and to represent uh, those that, or to respect those we represent and the tradition of those who walk before us. But having a vision also means that we're at least trying to surpass. We don't just we don't just go up to what they've done. We try to surpass what they've done in the respect and the tradition of what they, how they did it. 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Paul said to Timothy, look, this is not what you think you can do. This is what God has purposed for you to do. It's not about what you think you can do. It's about what God has purposed for you to do. Could I say this to you? There's more in all of us than we think. That's absolutely true. Everybody here has got more in you than you think you have. You have more you can do than you think you can do. Do you have a vision of what God has for you? Well, max it out. Max it out with a sense of enthusiasm, <clears throat> with, a, with a, uh, a responsibility to the one who gave it to you, and with a determination that you're going to finish it, that you're going to stick it out. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, salvation and get this, please. If you're wondering how to get to heaven, please get this. Salvation is by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. You cannot possibly run a race worthy enough to get to heaven. You can't possibly do it. You can't possibly do enough good works to get you to heaven. 
You must receive the gift of eternal life that was bought on the cross of Calvary by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins. And you must bring that into your life, admitting that you're a sinner and need that forgiveness of sins and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the only way to get to heaven. That is it. That is the only way. That being said, there's no work involved in gaining or keeping salvation. However, in the Christian life, we run like there is no tomorrow and like we may never see the prize unless we run as hard as we can. Nothing can or should dissuade us from going after the vision that God has put before us. We have to max out that vision, see everything that we can possibly be, everything that's out there, everything that is possible, regardless of where you are in your life. Please don't fall into the trap of let other people live life. I've already lived all of my life. I'm getting ready to retire, but I'm telling you this. I don't plan to retire from life. When you see me laid out somewhere in a casket, then you can say, well, I guess he's done. Otherwise, I'm not done. I'm still aggravating people. I'm still preaching. I'm still talking. I'm still trying to work out people's problems. I'm still trying to help people. I'm still, because I'm not maxed out in life until life is done. Max out your vision. Here's the second thing. Meet the challenge. I know I've got to hurry, but I will. Salvation is a gift from God. Once we receive eternal life, I've already said this, there's nothing else to be done to keep it or earn more of it. You can't say, well, I'm saved. I just want to get a little more. That's it's it. However, to fulfill our calling, there's much to be done. Now, how do we max out the will of God in our lives? How do you do that? How do you meet the challenge? How can you possibly meet the challenge of who God wants you to be and what God wants you to be? Here's the first thing. Do your best. Your absolute best. I, most of you know that I play, coach, uh, play golf with Coach Bowden. <clears throat> He's 86 now. He still plays golf. He still gets out there. He tries to talk me into letting him go forward, further forward than the forward tee, and I won't do it. <clears throat> we were out there, and, and, and we do all kinds of stuff. We, we sing. We, we say silly things. Uh, we make up songs. I'll hit a bad one. He'll say, hit, please hit, hit another one. Okay, and then I'll come back and I'll say, thanks for the mulligan. I really hit it bad. And then he picks up and he'll go. And make it. <clears throat> so one day we were out there, and I said to him, I said, uh, Coach, you're a, you're a Hall of Fame coach. You're the winningest coach of all time. At that time, he was the winningest coach of all time. You're the winningest coach of all time. I'm not doing well. I need a little pep talk. I need a little encouragement from a Hall of Fame coach. Now let's have it. He was was sitting next to me in the golf cart, and he looked over at me, and he said, those, those blue eyes, he looked at me, and he said, do your best. That's all you can do. I said, that's it? That got you to the Hall of Fame? I was expecting more than that. Well, he said, I don't have any more than that. You don't either. 
Just do your best. That's all you can do. You know what? He's actually on to something. To meet the challenge of being and doing all that God wants us to do, we simply must do our best. That's all that we can do. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul writes to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. It is our individual responsibility before God to present ourselves to God as doing our best to be what he would have us to be. In maxing out God's vision for your life, what are the challenges before you? Are you doing your best to meet them? There's another ingredient in meeting the challenge, and that is self-control. 1 Corinthians 9.25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Over the years, I come back to football, over the years we've had a, we've had a lot of guys play football. A lot of guys play football here. I've, I've been here, uh, well, in February it'll be 25 years. And I've seen a lot of guys play football. And, and I'll break them down into two, two different kinds. One is a very, 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 very small group. Very small group. I call them the thoroughbreds. They're very few thoroughbreds. People who just somehow or another you give them the ball and they do something that is unbelievably phenomenal with it. They're just thoroughbreds. Very few thoroughbreds. Not many of them. Most are what I call meat and potato players. I love meat and potato players. These are the people, they may get a chance to play in the college level, but the reality is what they want to do is be able to play on Friday night. They want to be able to play Friday night. And the thing that helps them the most is self-control. They have to work harder than other people to win their position. And they have to work hard every day to hold on to that position. I love these disciplined people, these disciplined young men and young women in the women's sports. I love the meat and potato players. To max out our press, to be all that God wants us to be, there must be a sense of excellence, of doing our best and demonstrating self-control. And then there's this, you have to lose the luggage. There's a lot that you can do, but you've got to lose the luggage. My golf game is one of those fragile games, and it's way easy, too easy to mess up, way too easy. Um, if, if, a, if, if I'm ready to hit the ball on the fairway, and the golf cart girl is coming this way, I went, oh, no. Man, a golf cart girl is going to watch me hit. I don't like this. And sometimes they stop. They think, well, we'll stop and be courteous. We'll be courteous and let you hit. No, please don't. Please drive on by. <laughs> Turn around. Go somewhere else. Yesterday, I, Coach and I were playing, and, and the, the, golf, the, the golf cart girl uh, came, and I looked at him, and I said, Coach, that's the ugliest golf cart girl I've ever seen. And he said, it is. And it was a guy who works in the restaurant there. And I, 
But to be sure, he was the ugliest golf cart girl I'd ever seen. I don't do well with an audience. I, I'm, it takes a lot for me to overcome somebody watching me. It really does. It just takes a lot. For me, golf is not a spectator sport. But you know what it is? Life. Life is a looker sport. People watch you in life. We're studying in Hebrews. We're going to study this in a couple of weeks. Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In the contest of life, the fact that others are watching us has to cause us to run better and keep our eye on the ball and stay more focused than we ever did before. And remember to not let anything or anyone get us off. Galatians 5, 7 says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Most of the time, those who wash out on something do not, do not wash out because they didn't want to do it. They do not wash out because they couldn't do it. They did not wash out because they had, lacked the ability to do it. They wash out because somebody discouraged them from doing it. That's normally what it is. It doesn't matter. In, the, in, in, in sports and in football and cheerleading and whatever it is, it's somebody on the squad, on the team, in the band, whatever, it's somebody that starts not liking something. And a lot of times, and pardon me parents, but a lot of times that somebody not liking something started with the parents having the discussion about it at home and they're not liking it and it brought that to the team and then the team brought it to somebody else in the team and those people who were running well and doing so well all of a sudden don't want to be there anymore. And you know why? Because somebody got in their head. Somebody got in their life. A negative influence. They become discouraged or even bitter. In the Christian life, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, sadly, who trip us up. They put their luggage on us, and before long, we are sidelined and winded because, not because of the, we, the race and not because we couldn't run the race, but we couldn't run the race with everybody else's luggage on us. We just couldn't do that. The Bible teaches us to bear one another's burdens, but it says nothing about being weighed down by one another's issues. Don't let other people's issues weigh you down. Today we're talking about pressing toward the mark and maxing out that press. And and the way that is done is to max out our vision and to meet the challenge and then finally enjoy the victory. Now when I say finally enjoy the victory, I must be fair with you and tell you that there are three parts under the finally uh, enjoy the victory but they're quick. Everybody loves to win. It doesn't matter what it is. You win French fries at McDonald's. I won! Yay! Everybody loves to win. 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul wrote, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. There are three reminders in these two verses. First of all, the race. Enjoy the race. Don't just run it. Enjoy it. This is not a dreary task. This is a good fight. Enjoy the race. The course is the Christian life. The contest is the cause of Christ. Enjoy the race. Make up your mind to enjoy it. Make up your mind ahead of time. This is good. This is great. I'm going to love it. 
Decide ahead of time. You're going to enjoy the race. And then look toward the finish. The finish line is what we're looking for someday. At the finish line, we see Jesus. Some of us have a a lot of race to run. And, And some of us have less race to run. All of us have less race to run than we used to have. Look toward the finish. Whether most of the race is before you or most of the race is behind you, enjoy and look toward the finish. And Paul says this. He says that there's something to look forward to after the finish. And you know what that is? That's the reward. Look for the reward. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me to that, uh, on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Don't you think that heaven should be an acceleration of our present joy? <laughs> yeah, Ooh, it'd be so frustrating to hate life and then, uh, for a born-again believer to hate life and then get to heaven and find out, oh, I was supposed to have been enjoying it. <laughs> wow. I was supposed to love the life that I was living. When he gave me eternal life, he gave it here and hereafter, and I was supposed to like it, and I didn't. Enjoy life. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. Be Jim Moore. Be Jim Moore to enjoy the life around you. Enjoy the life. There are few joys that are waiting for us in heaven that are not here now, but for the most part, heaven is an acceleration of joy. It's the passing gear. It's the second tier. It moves us on up. The text again says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus, what I'm saying to you is max it out. Max out the press.